If you would, turn to the book of Philemon. If you've never seen that or know where that is at, find Titus, find Hebrews, it's right in between. It's like one page in your Bible because it's only one chapter, but it's a great, great book that we're going to be diving into. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you are the God who loves us, who chases after us, who is for us. And Lord, we are thankful that you've given us your word that communicates your heart and the way that you work in the lives of of people, your followers as well as those who are running away from you. And God, I pray for anybody here today in this room or watching online who's been running away from you that God, you would speak to them now, that you would do a work in their hearts. And for all of us who love you, that our hearts would just be expanded today, that we would just fall more in love with who you are and how you work. And God, I also want to pray today for our friends down the road, down the freeway at Maranatha Chapel, as they gather today for the first time as a a church, as a whole, since the passing of their beloved leader, Pastor Ray Bentley. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them, that your grace would just fill that room, that your presence would just be thick in that place. And I pray for Ray's son, Daniel, as he steps into the role now as the lead pastor, God, that you would give him all the strength, wisdom, grace that he needs to lead the church through this time. And we ask, Lord, that you would be just with all the leaders there. And so we ask these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. The letter to Philemon is one of the most brilliant and compelling letters of redemption and reconciliation in ancient history. It is so great that we're going to spend three weeks looking at it. Today we're going to look at the story as a whole, and then next week we're going to zero in on one of the characters, his name is Onesimus, and we're going to see the transformation of a slave. And then in the final week, we're going to zero in on another one of the main characters. He's the one the book is written to. His name is Philemon, where we're going to see a call to forgive. But today... We want to look at the whole story, and it's a story really that that in it, the, the three characters that are the main characters in this story could say as we were just singing, as the band was just leading us, let me introduce you or let me tell you about my Jesus. Let's begin here in verse one. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Pause there for a moment. Paul is introducing himself as the writer of this letter. And normally when Paul is making that introduction, he identifies himself as a apostle of Jesus Christ. But this time he identifies himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And the reason for that is when Paul is writing this letter, and that's what this this is, it's a letter, as he's writing this letter to this man Philemon, he's doing so from a Roman prison cell. And I gotta tell you, I wish 
that I was a little bit more like Paul in the way I viewed things. You see, when, when I am chained by circumstances or when I feel imprisoned by my problems, my tendency is to moan and groan and complain. How many of you are with me? You know, that's how you do it. Yeah, I moan, I groan, I complain. God, why is that? But not Paul. You see, this was Paul's perspective. The Lord has me right where he wants me. I am his prisoner. Paul was used powerfully by God because he had this understanding that wherever he found himself, it was not due to the politics of man, but it was due to the sovereignty of God. And that's something I think is really good for us to be reminded of, especially in these past, you know, 18 months, all the craziness going on in our world. I've told you this before. I've reminded you of this, that in all this stuff going on, Jesus is still on the throne. Amen? And Paul recognized that. I'm a prisoner. I don't know exactly why I'm in prison right now, but I am the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Great thing to remember here. We pick it up. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, the, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me give you some background here. Paul had not visited, or he, had, he didn't start the church in Colossae, and he hadn't visited the church in Colossae. It's, it's likely that the church in Colossae was actually started because of Paul's ministry in Ephesus, which is about 100 miles from Colossae. And it seems that these two men, Epaphras, who's identified in verse 23 of this chapter, and Philemon had journeyed from Colossae to Ephesus where they heard Paul preach. And they were converted to Christ. And they went back and started this church, this gathering of people in Philemon's house. And Epaphras, he was the pastor of this home church. Now, there's two other people mentioned here in verse 2. One is Aphia, that's Philemon's wife. And the other is Archippus, that is Philemon's son. And some believe that Archippus would later become the pastor of this home church, that he would succeed Epaphras. And from various writings in, in church history, many, many believe that that is the case. But here's the point I want you to make. Paul is writing to this man Philemon, who was his friend. We'll pick it up in verse 4. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. Pause there. Give me your attention. Philemon has this reputation for being this loving guy. The very fact of this is something that Paul says brought him great joy and consolation or comfort. 
In fact, notice Paul's description of him. Once again, there in verse 7, he says, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. What an awesome trait to have. That wherever this guy went, people left, were left refreshed. They, they were left built up. They were refreshed in the Lord. They were inspired. I want to be that kind of guy. I mean, what a great reputation. It's like, ah, oh, great, Philemon's here. Like, we know this is going to be good. Like, when he leaves, everybody just is like, Whew. they feel like, you know, somebody just poured some fresh water over them. So this is the kind of guy Philemon is. Now, let's set up the story. The story really begins with a slave on the run. You see, Philemon had a slave whose name is Onesimus. The name Onesimus means profitable, but we're going to come to learn that he wasn't profitable at all. Now, before we go any further, let me just say this. Slavery was a normal part of life in first century Roman Empire. However, slavery in those days was a bit different from the slavery that we're probably more familiar with in our American history. In this sense, slaves were of no particular race. And slaves were considered to be the workforce of the empire. And many of the slaves were actually highly educated. Many of the doctors and those in the medical profession were slaves. Most of the teachers and those in the educational system were slaves. And they, they really weren't teachers like we would think, but they were more like private tutors for the children of the wealthy. And many of the slaves were actually treated like members of the family or as a very honored employee. But there were two things Two things that were not tolerated for slaves. One was if a slave ran away, and the other was theft. And Onesimus was guilty of both. You see, one day he decided to bail. And before he left, he stole some things from Philemon's property, and he headed off to Rome. Now, we would assume that by this description that Paul gives of Philemon, that Philemon was a great master, that he was a great uh, slave master, that he was good and he was kind. But I want, you to, I want you right now just to put yourself in Philemon's shoes. How would you have felt to be betrayed by that? Have you ever had somebody betray your kindness? Remember how that felt? There's a family in our church in Oregon that took in a girl who was pregnant, saw her all the way through her pregnancy, saw her through the delivery of her baby. They loved on her. They provided for her. They took her to all her doctor's appointments. They bought tons of clothes and stuff for uh, the baby and for her. I mean, they just loved on this uh, gal that was pregnant out of wedlock and whose her boyfriend had, you know, ran off. And about two months after she had delivered the baby, they came home to find that she was gone, the baby was gone, and that she had stolen from them. And I remember this woman in our church, she, what had happened is this young girl had uh, reconnected with the father of the child and they ran off. And I remember this lady in our she was so hurt and so angry, and felt so betrayed, and so violated, and, and she said, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to make myself vulnerable like that again. Maybe you've experienced that. 
by them. And he, he might have felt that way. So put yourself in his shoes just to kind of get an insight here, what was going through, maybe going through this guy's mind. Now, it was logical that Onesimus would escape to Rome because it was the biggest city in the Roman Empire. Some commentators have said of Rome that Rome was the natural cesspool for the unclean of humanity. Others called it the Las Vegas of that day. Maybe they had their own slogan, what happens in Rome stays in Rome, you know? I mean, it was that type of place, and it was also uh, because of the immense population in Rome, it was a great place to go to get to not be seen, to kind of blend in with the culture. So it was, was, you know, it it made a lot of sense that that's where Onesimus would go. So that's how the story starts. It starts with a slave on the run, but it leads to a divine appointment. You see, while in Rome, Onesimus somehow encounters Paul, most commentators believe that he got himself in some trouble. He ended up in prison, and it was there that he meets Paul, and Paul leads him to faith in Christ. Here's what I want you to know. Onesimus ran away looking for freedom, and he ended up in chains. Isn't that always the way that sin works? You run away thinking, man, I'm bound. I need to spread my wings and fly. I'm bound in this marriage, or I'm, I'm bound you know, under the, the roof of my parents, or I'm bound in this situation. I need to be free, and you run off and run to something thinking that this is going to bring the freedom and satisfaction that you're looking for, and you end up in chains to that. But Onesimus would soon discover that although there is slavery In what the world calls freedom, there is also freedom in slavery. How so? Because Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11. The great invitation. He says, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus calls out to everyone in the world, anyone in this room, anyone watching online, are you weary and heavy laden? Come to me and I will give you rest rest but then he says and yoke yourself to me what was a yoke a yoke was that that wooden device that was put over two oxen that joined them together that connected them together so that they could plow a field and jesus is saying hey yoke yourself to me and you're gonna find rest yoke yourself to me and you're gonna find purpose. And when we yoke ourselves to Jesus, we find that he is a good master. So the question here today for all of us to answer is, is not are we yoked? I'm not talking about muscles, but are, you know, are you yoked? Not are you yoked, but who are you yoked to? Because all of us are yoked to something. All of us are yoked to someone. Jesus wants us to be yoked to him, and he is an excellent master who loves us, and he wants to do good things for us and to us. So Onesimus came to see, as he encounters Paul in prison, 
that although Paul's in prison, Paul's actually the freest human being that he has ever met. And Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus. And he ends up spending time there in Rome, in, in prison, and he's discipled by Paul. He ends up helping Paul in the ministry he has there in the prison. But then the time comes when he's going to be released. Onesimus is going to be released, and Paul is going to send him back to Philemon with this letter. Picture that. Paul writes this and says, okay, you're, you're leaving tomorrow. I want you to take this with you. I want you to go back to Colossae. I want you to go back to Philemon. And when you see him, give this to him. And this is where we pick it up, an appealing letter. Imagine this reunion. As Philemon opens up the letter, he reads this. Look at verse um, 8. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting... Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul says, look, Philemon, I could have commanded you in this, but, but I'm not going to do it. I want to appeal to you, appeal to you as a brother. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. Paul says, I'm appealing to you as a friend. I'm appealing to you as a brother in the Lord. And and I want you to know, something happened to Onesimus. He has found Jesus. And he's like a son to me. So please, by the way, be kind to him. Deal gently with him. Now again, put yourself in Philemon's shoes here. For some of us, this would have been hard to receive him back like that. And you see, under Roman law, the slave owner had complete and total control over his slave. And Rome's laws against runaways was very, very strict. A runaway slave who was caught could be crucified or he could have been branded with an F right on his forehead that, for, that would stand for, so everybody that would see him would stand for fugitive. Everybody would know that's a runaway slave. That's who that guy was. That could have been the plight of Onesimus. And under Roman law, Philemon would have been justified by such action. But Paul is asking Philemon to respond according to a different law, the law of love and the law of grace. He's asking Philemon not to do the natural thing. The natural thing when we're, we're hurt is we want to hurt back. The, the natural thing when somebody lashes out against us, we want to lash back at them. But Paul's asking Philemon not to do the natural thing, but to do the supernatural thing. And that's really what God is wanting all of us to do. It's, it's, it's what we, it is, it is about the idea of, you know, walking in the Spirit as we're learning, as we're going along and walking with Jesus, how to move from the natural, how our natural man used to react to things, to the supernatural, being led by the Spirit of God. We pick it up in verse 12. Paul says, I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel, 
But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion, not forced, as it were, but voluntary. Now, Philemon must have flipped in reading this letter and taking, the note, taking note of the words of Paul that he's using here to describe Onesimus. Again, remember, his name means profitable. But in verse 11, Paul says, formerly he was unprofitable to you. Seems he wasn't a very good worker. And he stole from Philemon. But Paul says, he may not have been profitable to you, but he has become extremely profitable to me. And he refers to Onesimus as his son, who ministered to Paul in his chains. That's a pretty awesome transformation, isn't it? See what happens to this guy. And this is a wonderful picture of our relationship to God. The transformation of our position. That we go from being unprofitable to profitable. So much so that God calls us, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, his workmanship. He says, you are my workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. And that word workmanship, it's poema in the Greek, and it means my masterpiece. That's how God sees you. You are my masterpiece in the making, and you have been created in Christ. In other words, you have been redeemed for good works. You were unprofitable, but now you are profitable to me that I can work and be used in your life. We go from being those who cause God great grief in our rebellion to those who now can bless his heart. We go from those who were, being, who were lost to those who are his sons and his daughters. But verse 16, 15 and 16 is very, very interesting. Note this. He says, for perhaps he departed for a while, For this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, Paul says something here really, really interesting. Again, in verse 15, he says, perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose. Paul is wanting Philemon to see the big picture here. That Look, Onesimus, he left. He ran out. He stole from you. And that was wrong. But here's the big picture. It's the very thing that God used to bring him to Christ. And Paul is suggesting to Philemon that God was using this evil that he did for his good because, you see, God wanted Onesimus to be caught. Not so that he could be killed and lost forever or branded with the F for fugitive. No, he wanted Onesimus to be caught so that he could have this divine appointment and meet Paul in prison and be introduced to Jesus. I love it when God brings about divine appointments. When he brings somebody in your path that he wants to use you to minister to them or use them to minister to you, I just love when he does that. And you know, I think he wants to do that a lot more than we think. 
if we would just be a little bit more open then moving and working you know, in our lives on any given day. And this is what God is doing here. He's bringing Onesimus into encounter Paul because he wants to do this work in his life. Onesimus is going to find himself in adult difficulty, but it was all part of God's plan. You know, there's a story about a man who was really going through some heavy-duty stuff. He's walking by this construction site where these workers were working on this uh, stone church building. And he saw one of the workers just kind of hammering on this triangular piece of stone. And he asked him, he goes, what is that for? And the workman pointed up to the, by the steeple of the church. And he says, see that opening there up by the steeple of the church? He goes, I'm working on this down here so it'll fit up there. And as soon as he said that, the man who was going through all the difficulty started to cry. He started to weep because God used that stonemason, talk about divine appointments, to open up his eyes to what, why he was going through the things that he was going through, that God was doing all that, allowing all of that in his life down here so that he would fit up there. And that's what the Bible says about the trials the difficulties that we go through, that they're meant to work in us, to, to, to shape our character, to make us more like Jesus. And you might be someone here today, you're going through some difficulty in your life and it's just been bugging you and you've been discouraged and you've been depressed. But I want to remind you today, God is always working. Like we say, we sing that song. He's always moving. He is the way maker. He's always moving. He's always working. And he is doing those things in your life down here so you'll fit up there. He's doing those things, allowing those things in your life right now to make you more like Jesus. And he wants us to embrace that. To embrace that all things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. We need to see the big picture. Paul's asking Philemon to do just that. To see hey, this was all a part of God's plan. To see how God used this circumstance to transform Onesimus. Onesimus left a slave, but he returned no longer a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, a new man. So Onesimus had changed. He'd been saved. But what about his punishment? What about justice, some would say? Come on, God's fair. Well, this is where this story really gets good. Look at verse 17. He says, If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand, I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. <laughs> but here's what I want you to note. Don't miss this. Paul did not suggest that Philemon ignore the slave's crimes and forget about the debt that Onesimus owed. No. The Bible teaches clearly that restitution needs to be made in such cases. But here's the problem. 
Onesimus could not possibly have paid back all that he owed Philemon. He didn't have the means. He couldn't pay back what he owed him and what he stole and the time that that he was away. But Paul is not asking Philemon to just forget it. But rather, Paul offered to pay the debt himself. He said, put it on my account. Charge it to my tab. I will repay it. You see, Paul deals with the issue of restitution and justice by saying to Philemon, I want you to accept him as you would accept me. And if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. And in this picture, we see a beautiful, beautiful picture of the doctrines of full substitution and the doctrine of imputation. Paul's saying, look, I'm standing by him. You treat him as if he were me, and I will pay for his debt. So don't hold that against him. Does that remind you of somebody? That's what Jesus did. Paul's willingness to meet Onesimus' debt and to restore his relationship with Philemon is a marvelous picture of the work of Christ. Because you see, all of us, we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And the soul that sins will surely die. And the Bible says all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We had a debt that we couldn't pay. And that debt left us feeling guilty because of our sin. Philemon had been wronged by Onesimus' sin just like we had wronged God. Because of our sin. We had offended God. We had rejected God. We took the life that God had given to us and we stole it if it, uh, stole it, you know, as it were. We took it and we lived for ourselves. And Philemon, like God, he had been wronged. Onesimus, like us sinners, stood in need of redemption and reconciliation. And Paul offered to pay the price and to bring about the reconciliation. It's the same role that Jesus plays in the relationship between the sinner and God. But here's the difference. Paul offered to pay the price. Jesus did pay the price. And he says, charge it to my account their sin i'll take it charge it to my account our debt from our sin had eternal consequences we deserved to be damned we deserved hell but we have been placed in jesus this is the doctrine of substitution jesus took our sin so that he might give us his righteousness. And we go from being enemies of God when we embrace Christ to being, becoming his beloved sons and daughters. In Romans chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. The, the word impute means to hold against. Why does God not hold our sin against us? Because Jesus paid for it. Jesus paid the price for it. 
My sin and your sin was imputed to Jesus so that his righteousness might be, in tr- might be transferred to us. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Someone put it this way. A sinless Jesus became sin-filled so that sin-filled people could be sin-free. Guys, listen, Paul is not asking Philemon to forgive and forget. He's not saying, hey, just forgive and forget. He's saying, forgive and I'll pay the debt. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them because I paid the debt them and the father responds by saying i will forgive them and i will forget that's what the bible calls being justified paul says in romans 5 that we are justified by faith in christ the the phrase justified means it's just as if you never sinned Isn't that amazing our sins are forgiven and forgotten because jesus did pay the debt that we owed when my daughter Amanda was a young girl, she used to love to play with a calculator. She just loved punching all the numbers, and she knew where the button was that said clear. And she'd punch all the buttons, it would fill up the whole screen, and then she'd go, clear, and they'd all go away. She loved that. You ever accidentally hit the clear button working on a calculator i know we don't do that you know much anymore but you know you're adding up all this stuff and then suddenly you actually hit that oh no i gotta start all over again listen god hits the clear button and god is not like us because you see god has the ability in who he is to put our sins out of his remembrance to the point where he literally, there, there, it's clear. It's gone. You bring it up again. He's like, again? What are you talking about? You know, I forgot that. He puts it out of his remembrance. Our sins are forgiven and forgotten because Jesus paid the price. And this is the great news. The sacrifice of Jesus is sufficient to cover the sins of the entire world. But it's only efficient. His sacrifice on the cross is only efficient for those who embrace Jesus and put their faith in Jesus. And here's what I want to say today as we kind of bring this to a close. If you're sitting here today, you're watching online, and you've never embraced Jesus as the one who paid the price for your sin, who went to the cross to pay the debt that you owed, You are today still in a place of being a sinner separated from God. But Jesus, his death on the cross was sufficient to pay the price for your sin so that you could be cleansed, so that you could be brought into a right relationship with God. Jesus did that. His death on the cross is sufficient to pay the price for your sin so that you could be cleansed and free of your guilt and made new and brought into relationship with God. But it's only efficient if you embrace it. 
And if you have not done that, if you haven't opened up your heart to Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that today. I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a minute. But you know, I bet you there's some here, some of you may be watching online, that your story is not, you know, that you've never given your life to Christ. Now, you maybe went forward at a crusade or, you know, at a camp when you were in high school or junior high, and you, you know, have professed faith in Christ, but you've run away. You've run away from God. You've been seeking freedom and something else, and you've come to this place. Here we are, second week of, you know, January 2022, and you're realizing, I'm in, I'm in chains. I was seeking freedom, and, and I'm not free at all. And your sin has bound you. Your rebellion has bound you. Jesus is asking you today. It's his invitation. Come to me. You're weary. You're heavy laden. I want to give you rest. I want to do that work. I want to free you. I want to restore you. I want you to realize that you're my workmanship and I've got this plan and purpose for your life. I'll close with this. Years ago, a man visited a doctor in Florence, Italy. This man was filled with anxiety. He was exhausted from lack of sleep. He couldn't eat. He avoided his friends. But when the doctor examined him, he found that the guy was in prime physical condition. So he assumed that his issue was merely psychological. Now what this guy needed was, he just needed to have a good time. He needed a release. So he said, you know, there's a great circus in town. And this is my prescription. I want, to, I want you this week to go to the circus. And the star attraction of the circus is this clown named Grimaldi. And he just has people laughing out of their seats. You're going to have a good time. This is exactly what you need. I want you to go to the circus and enjoy Grimaldi. And the man who had come into the doctor said, that's not going to help me. I am Grimaldi. I am the clown. And you know, maybe that's you. Maybe, you know, you're that guy. You make everybody laugh. You're the life of the party. But you might be able to you know, fool everybody else into thinking that you're the happiest man or woman on earth. But you can't fool God. He knows what's going on. He sees your heart. And deep down inside, you know that you have no remedy for the emptiness that's in your heart and in your life. And you have no real answers for your dilemma. And the reason is, is you need a savior. Because you have a void and an emptiness in your heart that can't be filled by anything else. It can only be filled by that relationship with Jesus. And when you come to him, he does a work in cleansing you, removes your guilt, forgives your sin, and gives you life. I encourage you to embrace him today.